Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion for our Black Voices Matter series. Uh, I am joined, as usual, by my co-hosts, Yubi and Mike. How are you guys doing? I was going to let Mike go first. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was doing the whole age before beauty thing. Sorry, dude. So oh, please. there it is. There yeah. it is. Yeah. Apparently welcome. we're doing pretty good, Nina. <laughs> welcome back, guys. All right. Well, let's let's get started and introduce our guests. We're super excited to have here today, Kelsey Medard. Um, Kelsey is the is, it, is a, an attorney and the founder of Grow by Three. Um, we are going to be talking about some really interesting stuff around building generational wealth, um, what it means to be first gen, uh, the pipeline, the quote unquote pipeline problem that uh, companies are always talking about. And we're really excited to be having this conversation today. So Kelsey, welcome to the podcast. And of course, the first question we always ask for our guests is in the midst of everything happening in the world today, how are, how are you doing? Well, thank you so much for the introduction and for asking that question, Nina. Um, it's really, really awesome to be here. Um, in terms of how I'm doing today, I would say this is definitely one of the highlights of my afternoon. Um, I think that Mondays are really difficult sometimes, so I'm happy that I'm able to connect with you all. I think that this is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm, I'm happy for everyone who's listening to this, so I think that this is really going to boost the day for a lot of people, and that just makes me really happy. That's awesome, and uh, we're so happy for you to be here today. So I was wondering if we could start off by uh, you just telling us a little bit about your background and, and your journey. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, so I'm originally from the New York area, currently living in Boston, and I went to college at Syracuse University. So even then I was in New York, but that's a little bit more upstate. Um, but I was born and raised in Queens, New York. And when I moved for high school, I moved to Long Island and it was a very different environment. Um, I was previously around, you know, predominantly people from diverse backgrounds. And then when I got to Long Island, it was a totally different story. Um, when I went to Syracuse, I kind of, you know, felt the experience of being at a predominantly white institution, which I did enjoy. Actually, I enjoyed, um, you know, the environment. I had a lot of opportunities there. I ended up graduating a year early. And that's when I went on to law school at Boston University School of Law. And um, that was you know, law school is difficult, but I think that that was also an awesome experience for me because it started to help me think about life differently and, and really create a new perspective about what's really important in life. Um, so after that, I decided to work for a large law firm in the Boston office, and I did that for a while, and I did enjoy the opportunity um, I was happy to have had the chance to get that position as a, a commercial litigation associate, but then I ultimately realized that I really wanted to get a little bit deeper into helping others um, in a direct way. Um, so I know during law school and even in undergrad, I started thinking very consciously about mentorship and what that means and how mentorship can lead people to new opportunities. Um, and how it can just increase education for so many people on various different topics. And so that's when I started moving farther and farther into the lane of figuring out what I could do to provide sort of direct service to other people in ways that will help them access new opportunities and get where they want to be in life. I, I, Kelsey, this is Mike, and thank you again for being on with us today. Uh, it's, it's super flattering knowing that this is 
highlight of your day. I got to know what else happened in your day to make us the highlight. However, <laughs> um, we, we are truly uh, honored to have you on. Uh, when we when we did our kind of our prep call with you, uh, there's so many fascinating topics that um, I want to d- jump into with you. But I, I love the, um, you know, and I'm, I'm going to define first gen uh, conversation from the kind of first to go to maybe a university or college level and kind of kind of the achievement side for first gen. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, again, uh, filling in your background about that? being first gen and what that meant to your family as a whole? Yeah, so so many people have different uh, definitions of what it means to be first gen. So some people will think that if you um, are the first person in your family to live in a certain country. So for example, my uh, grandparents were all born in different countries in a sense. So um, on my dad's side, they're born in Haiti. And on my mom's side, my grandparents were born in Jamaica and Cuba. Um, so technically, I guess you'd say my mother is first gen because my father was actually born in Haiti. Um, and then other people, might take the first gen definition to mean, okay, well, if you achieved a level of schooling that um, some of the people who came before you did not achieve, then that would also qualify you as being a first gen um, individual. Um, One awesome thing I would say is that my mother did go to law school. And so she really gave me a lot of guidance. Um, But then there were also things on my dad's side of the family that um, they've imparted to me, which may not have been from having gone to law school, but just that experience of being hardworking and um, sort of teaching me how to stay strong, you know, when dealing with adversity and things of that nature. Um, So my experience of sort of bringing something new to the family is sort of more so on my father's side where I was able to um, go to law school and um, get that firm job and sort of just kind of pursue my dreams in this way. I think even with some of the experiences that I've had, um, I don't know if I would particularly qualify it all the way as being first gen. Um, but I think just the aspect of having my grandparents be being born in different countries and then my parents sort of working their hardest here in America, but then me trying to forge newer opportunities for our family and create um, new pathways. Um, I have three younger sisters. And so for me, my life has really been focused on, you know, what else can I teach them? What else can I show them? Um, how can I help them access their dreams or, or push forward to their goals and be kind of like a stepping stone for them? Um, so honestly, I sort of, try to lead my life in a way where, yes, I want to help my sisters, but then I kind of treat a lot of different strangers like they're my sisters too, or, you know, how can I help them do what they want to do in life? Or how can I be of service to them in that experience? So I think just with the way that my life has been, um, there have been some opportunities that maybe my family didn't really know were possible. Um, So I know when I started working at my law firm and you know, I, I shared the salary that I'd be making with my dad. He was so shocked, actually. He was just like, you know, I've, I don't even know people who are making that money, you know, from going to a job every single day, you know, and I think that he was shocked to find out that information. And that was something that was super impactful for me because it showed me that, wow, I'm, I'm doing something more than my dad thought was possible. And I'm really, really going for um, greater goals. And I feel like I want a lot of people to have that feeling, no matter what family they're in, whether they are first generation or they're not first generation, I want them to kind of take it farther than the generation that they sort of have come from, if that makes sense. So what did your dad say when you left that salary, (laughs) that salaried position? He was definitely 
shocked and confused. Um, he did not understand why I would want to do that. You know, I think for both of us, I had felt like the job that I had gotten was the dream. You know, we all felt like that. Um, and so I think that there was fear, you know, now that it's been more than a year, it's, there's some time that has passed. We've been able to deconstruct that a little bit. And so I think what it really came from was just fear of worrying that, you know, maybe I wouldn't um, be as, what's the word, taken care of, you know, I think for my dad, this, this really meant safety and it meant that I wouldn't have to struggle. And I think he has really wanted me to, to stay away from the struggle as much as possible. And I think I just had to really explain to him, like, dad, you know, I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity, but just because I'm leaving that salary doesn't mean that I don't ever want to make that again. It just means that I'm going on to a different path. And I still think I'll be successful with that. And I think he finally was able to come around when he started seeing the value in the work that I'm doing now, because when I first tried to talk to him about, oh, I'm going to try to do this diversity, equity and inclusion work. And trust me, it is valuable and people really care about it. It was really hard for him to conceptualize that because usually he's sort of focused on thinking, OK, lawyer, doctor, engineer, you know, these are the specific types of careers that you go towards when you want to be successful in that sense. And so I really had to work on broadening that perspective of what it means to be successful. And that's what I love doing with, with our clients too, on a daily basis. You know, one of the things that we had talked about was, um, well, I mean, there's this concept in America that's based on rugged individualism, right? Like everyone thinks that, you know, the way to gain wealth or, you know, make it in this world is through this, uh, you know, you, you work hard and you're self-made. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the self-made versus not conversation seems to always like seems to be this like American ideal. Yeah. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Like what what does self-made mean? And like, how does that play out, especially for underrepresented communities? Yeah. So I I don't understand what the obsession is with the concept of being self-made. I think the beauty of it to most people is that they can they can really express how independent they are and they can really share this idea of I did it all by myself and I was able to make it. Um, and so, you know, that's that's like my honor. That's a badge of honor. That's an achievement. Um, but I feel that it can still be an achievement, even if you don't just do it on your own by yourself. Um, I feel like there have been many different things that I've been able to achieve in this life. And I would never call myself self-made because there's just so many sacrifices that were made for me to get here. Um, there are so many people who have given me information. They've given me insight or they have really set me up in a direction to help me push forward. And so I feel like it would it would just be a disservice to all of those people who have helped me or who have sacrificed for me to, to have me call myself self-made. I feel like I'm way more interested in talking about how mentorship and other people sharing insight with you in those coffees or um, those, I guess now we can call them Zoom sessions where you're kind of just meeting up with people and talking to people about their experiences and learning from that. I think that that is a really awesome way to help people figure out what other opportunities are out there and then get some steps or some ideas on how they can push forward with those. Well, what's interesting. Oh, oh sorry, Mike. Well, I, no, I just, I had, a, I had a thought about this because it's, it, it's within this conversation that you often find a lot of people who question the, the struggle that the, you know, 
the black community has had, um, you know, the, the, the people who don't necessarily believe in, in racism or systemic inequalities, you know, a lot of times their argument is, is within this self-made ideal, right? Like they're like, well, I was able to, I had to work hard to get to where I am. Why yeah. can't they? Right. Like, and it's such, it is such kind of a baseline reaction, but to, to your point, like, <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of, it's an ideal that it, unless we talk about and understand like where that ideal comes from, it's, it's not actually possible for everybody. It's definitely not possible for everybody, Lee. You're totally right. Um, I think for me, realizing that is what pushed me to start my company. Um, a lot of people always ask, well, why is it called Grow by Three? And so um, in the short version is that the three stands for the three things that people usually will need in order to achieve something new. So that first thing is insight. They need the information to just know that something's possible and what the steps might be in order to achieve it. And then they need to understand it. So the second thing is understanding to make sure that um, those steps and that information is clear to you in terms of how it applies to your very own life. And then the third thing is evolution in terms of every day realizing that you need to take some steps or some new action in order to get closer and closer to those dreams. And so a lot of times people are missing the insight. You know, they might have the drive to go forward for whatever it is that they want, but they may not know how to get there or they may not know how to deal with some of the other things that are happening in their lives so that they could focus on um, what their goals actually are. And so I think for me, I realized that oh my goodness, there's so many different things that I've experienced that if somebody hadn't talked to me about and told me it's out there and it's possible, I never would have known to even go after it. Um, so like even thinking about law firms, when I was in law school and even in college, I had no idea that there were large law firms that would pay you six figures as soon as you graduate from law school. You know, my thought process of the legal field was pretty much, oh, you could sort of, you know, be a defense attorney or you could work for the state or, you know, you can be a prosecutor. That was really the way that I was thinking about the law at that time. And so it wasn't until I got to my school and they were sort of introducing me to all of these different types of lawyers and I'm meeting corporate attorneys and I'm, you know, seeing what that life looks like. And I'm talking to people who are explaining to me how you can actually make it there. That's when it totally changed my perspective and, and really put me onto something new. And so I, I really think that in order for people to even try to, to make it happen, yeah, some of us are lucky. Some of us are blessed to have resources or to have people in our lives who can talk to us about these things. But, you know, everybody does not have that same experience. I, uh, gosh, I'm so, I so enjoy uh, listening to you and how you got here, but uh, the wisdom that you're bringing, this collective wisdom, so this, uh, that you now want to impart on, um, on others to help bridge the gap. But your model is very much an empowering model, and I really, really like that. It really resonates with me, Kelsey. And I, uh, but can you, can you help um, describe your model a bit more? Again, uh, this fallacy that there's really not enough of a diverse pipeline out there and how your organization actually can, can help bridge the gap for some of these organizations to tap into some of the most amazing talent out there that really is diverse. 
Yeah, so with some of our services, we're working directly one-on-one with individuals who want to access those new opportunities, but they aren't necessarily sure. Um, maybe they, you know, they, they're not really clear on what the roadmap needs to be in order to get there. So we have like roadmap packages and narrative packages where we help professionals sort of figure out, you know, hey, I've done a lot of amazing things, but how do I create this narrative to make it clear to anybody that I'm talking to or even an employer to make it clear why I should be um, Uh, you know, working at this organization or why I should get an opportunity. Um, So sometimes that even leads us into, you know, working with them on their resumes, cover letters, um, developing their interview skills and things of that nature. And so on that end, we are working to sort of help people develop professionally so they can access those opportunities in the way that they would like to. Um, and, And most of our clients are coming from a diverse background. As it relates to the organizations, we offer consulting services that works um, that work directly with people who are at executive levels in the company. Um, we also offer services directly to um, employees who need maybe professional development in the organization itself. Or sometimes we're really focusing heavily on the diversity, equity, and inclusion aspect in the sense that we are doing workshops and trainings to help the environment be a little bit more um, I guess, hospitable to people from diverse backgrounds or also increasing that level of inclusion so that more work can get done, the team can be more engaged with each other, and also that they can dr- so that they can drive up those retention rates. Um, as it relates to pipelines, we also offer consulting services where we help organizations pinpoint where they can build a pipeline and develop the programming for them to do so. Um, So just from my work itself, I've recognized that there really is not a pipeline problem in the sense that there aren't enough diverse professionals. Um, I really believe that it depends on what you're looking for and what what your programs are asking for. So in a sense, when you think about hiring or you think about admissions and you think about a number of these different spaces, we're usually focusing on numbers like GPAs, um, you know, standardized test scores, or we're looking at these people's resumes and wondering, okay, what's the what's the best name that they have on here to, to validate their experience? And so I think it requires us to take a look at, you know, what do our programs look like right now? What are the hiring processes looking like right now? What do we need to change so that we can move or remove a little bit of bias out of the situation so that we can help other people advance or so that we can bring more people in the door um, because numbers and, you know, perfect places for where people may have worked in the past, that's not always going to tell you the worth that somebody can bring to an organization or to a school or, or things of that nature. So there really isn't a lack of diverse talent. You know, it's just what ways are we using to judge talent? And are we judging this talent in a way that's in line with bias? Um, And so a lot of times if we're removing some of those barriers, we will find that there are a lot more talented people out there. I love that. That's so powerful. Like that's been one of my biggest frustrations when I, you know, have been working this diversity, equity and inclusion space is that I've heard so many companies say, oh, it's a pipeline problem. Like there, we just don't have enough people applying and like, we don't have enough people, you know, there's just not enough people from these underrepresented groups, like, you know, that exist with the degrees that we want. And so really helping organizations rethink through like, what are they measuring? What are they looking for? Yeah. Um, it's not just about like, like you said, like the names of the things on their resume. Is it like, do they, is there a company they recognize and therefore that person is better 
than a company that they haven't heard of. Exactly. Um, and there's other things too. I mean, you could definitely find diverse talent that has the school that you're looking for, the GPA you're looking for, the standardized test score you're looking for, and companies that you're looking for. But you may not be getting those resumes because you have to ask, well, where are we looking for our talent? You know, that's also a really big question to ask because um, if you're sort of focusing all of your, your recruiting efforts in places where you're less likely to find that kind of talent, you have to make a change in that area. Um, I know some people, one of, the, one of the coolest things that I've been hearing about people doing is, you know, including HBCUs as part of their, their recruitment um, strategy in terms of actually going to visit these schools or building relationships with these schools so that they can um, connect with students. And, and for anybody who's listening who does not know what an HBCU is, that's a historically Black college and university. So um, that's just one way out of many that companies and organizations can really find the talent that they're looking for um, with the standards that they're looking for. And then you're actually sort of finding an environment where you'll be able to connect with those people. So it sometimes does require you to be a little bit more intentional than you might be, but that's a small price to pay for the opportunity to create those pipelines where um, people are having the opportunity to connect with your organization, learn about it, apply, and potentially even get the job. I mean that that this whole conversation was just a mic drop for me. <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, yeah, like you're you're speaking our language, Kelsey. And I think it, it, the big thing to me, and it, what it seems like through your work and just everything that you've done, has been intention, right? And you 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 know you've because um, I, I was reading something um, where you had a viral tweet. <laughs> and about graduating law and for, you know, that's a whole other, like, how do you make a tweet go viral? <laughs> but that's this hilarious. was, I mean, this was amazing. Like it was based on graduating law school, passing the bar exam in two States and having finished undergrad. Was that all in just three years? So I finished undergrad in three years. And then after law school is when I sat for two bar exams. So it, it, it didn't happen in a span of three years, but the timeline, you know, I did try to get a lot done you know, in, in a short yeah. span of time. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I was able to do that. And again, it's not just like, oh yeah, I'm the one who studied and I got the grades. And so it's me, I'm perfect. I did it. Absolutely not. It's it's really a, an honor and a blessing and honestly an ode to all of the people who've supported me over the years. You know, all of the people who've been there for me, who've motivated me, who've given me you know, insight. And I remember even when I was deciding whether or not I should take two bar exams, I was on the phone with multiple people um, just trying to get different perspectives. And it's really just taught me, you need to hear things from other people. You need that insight from other people. And so even now we have a mentorship program where we're working with um, over 50 participants and they're all around the country. So sometimes I'm like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta be really conscious about these time zones uh, because we have all of these participants and some of them are in high school, college, and then the mentors that are serving them are graduate students or working professionals. And so we're trying to teach them things and give them insight from a young age so that they can start thinking about things a little bit more clearly. Like there's some students who had never actually emailed a professional contact before, um, who've never really sent out that email, or they've never sent a calendar invite, or they 
you know, aren't sure what you're supposed to talk about with a professional. And so we're just so excited that we have this opportunity to start giving out this insight earlier than later so that people can start developing at higher levels professionally um, and, and really bring their goals closer and closer to fruition. It's so amazing. It's like, this is such a line of thinking um, and the work that you're doing that it can change the course of people's careers, right? Because I mean, you're, what you're, you know, what you're saying is we're dispelling this self-made myth and it takes, it takes a community. It takes a team of people, you know, for, for managers specifically, it's like, how do I, how do I build a better team and how do I make sure that they're successful? Well, it's this, it's this intentional way of helping each other and realizing that it's just not, yeah, I I love, this is such a big thing that I hope our audience takes to heart. I, and also Kelsey to follow up, I, I, I agree. I'm super enthusiastic about this concept and this empowerment model and the fact that you're taking, uh, like the, the the wisdom of of mentorship and support um, to uh, the next level. I'd love uh, what's your crystal ball. I'd love to know like what what you what you what you are aiming to accomplish in the next five or ten years. That is such an amazing question, which I don't know if I've thought about it as far out, which is funny because I'm usually always asking clients, Hey, what do you want to do in the next five years? What are you looking to do, you know, 10 years from now? So I need to ask myself that. Um, I think I might have to be a little bit general on this one. And my answer is I want to still be helping people. I want to be working with people to help them achieve their dreams. You know, I think, For me, like I had mentioned, I got my dream job at that time and I wouldn't have got it without support from others. And so I don't know what it is. I just have this desire to just give back as much as I possibly can. And it's very fulfilling for me to do that. Um, I think I want to just continue doing it on a larger scale. Um, So right now, you know, the mentorship program, we're at 50 plus participants. I'm hoping to, you know, make that number even larger. Um, We have clients that we're working with to develop pipeline programs, and we're hoping to develop even more pipeline programs. Um, You know, the consulting services, we just want to keep helping as many companies as we can make their environments a lot more safe, honestly, like increase psychological safety for everybody involved. Um, I want everybody that we work with to know that if you're working with us, our goal is really just to make your life better. And so with that said, my five-year or 10-year goal is to keep impacting lives, keep making people's lives better, and um, just doing that steadfastly and staying committed to that goal. Kelsey, this is amazing. And this is this has been an amazing conversation. I think there's just so many tactical things folks uh, uh, listening to the podcast can walk away with. Obviously, we were meant to connect because we absolutely 100% share the same mission. Um, Mike's doing the same thing with his community. Yubi and I are doing it with our communities as well. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, bringing your wisdom and insight for all of our listeners. 
No problem. This has been awesome for me too. I'm so grateful that I've had the chance not only to um, talk on the podcast, but also to connect with you all um, even before this. And I'm really looking forward to staying in touch. Um, If anybody does have questions and they want to follow up, feel free to go to our website and reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk, always happy to brainstorm, um, you know, and, and just knowing that I found a community with similar ideas and similar values. That's amazing to me and I'm looking forward to seeing what else we can do. Thank you. And we'll definitely put your contact information up on our, on the YouTube uh, post that we'll put up and um, to all of our listeners, thank you again for joining us. Uh, You can check out this episode on chooseinclusion.com. We'll also have it on Apple podcasts and Spotify. Thank you, Yubi and Mike, and we will be back for another episode in the next couple days. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kelsey. Uh, Thanks, Kelsey.